Hello and welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that spotlights pioneers in our industry who are changing the way that data is used to power better customer experiences. I'm your host, Ben Cicchetti, and for this episode, we're heading down under for our first ever Australian episode of Identity Architects. Our general manager for Australia and New Zealand, Richard Knott, sat down with Troy Townsend, co-founder and CEO at Zitcher. Richard and Troy not only discussed one of the hottest topics in the media industry in 2023, retail media, but they also touch on the power of content, the rise of first-party data, the use of data clean rooms, and much, much more. Before we jump into that conversation, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects land. But without any further delay, here's Richard's chat with Troy. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to what is a very special episode of Identity Architects. It is our first ever episode from Down Under, recorded here in Sydney, Australia. Uh, My name is Richard Knott. I am Infosum's General Manager for Australia and New Zealand. And with me today for this auspicious occasion is an Australian industry legend, Troy Townsend. Troy is well known in Australia as a leader in marketing innovation and none more so than what he's doing with his current company, Zitcher. Welcome, Troy. Hi Richard, great to be here. Great to have you here. Um, so to dive in straight into it, um, let's start with uh, some uh, opening, an opening question just to cover off uh, some of the basics around yourself and around uh, your business. For anyone who doesn't know you, can you please give us a quick intro to Troy Townsend and to Zitcher and what you and what, it, what Zitcher is and what your role is within Zitcher? Yes, so uh, well, I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of Zitcher. Um, I've been in the uh, in the digital ad tech space for close to twenty years now, so I feel like I'm uh, you know hearing the words industry veteran doesn't really rub up right, but I've been in the in the legend, space for legend. a while. Uh, well, I'll say legend. Um, but we Zitcher is um, is a platform that basically helps any retailer um, build a retail media network. Um, I, I spent the last um, twelve years of my life uh, building a an ad tech platform on top of Facebook um, from from the very early days uh, of them starting to build an ad tech pro- an ad product all the way to um, to about two years ago where I exited um, a business called Tiger Pistol and off the back of, of that business um, I started my journey into into retail media could see a lot of uh, writing on the wall around privacy legislation and and things happening in the space in the ad tech space. Um, and retail media um, became a real focus of mine, and um, Zitch is really built to make uh, make it really easy for retailers to stand up a retail media network um, and grow um, across their own native assets um, to their um, their offsite assets like Google and Meta and TikTok um, and their in store assets like uh, their screens and their um, and their audio and their end caps and and the likes of that. So it's a pretty exciting space. Oh yeah, fantastic! It's definitely a growing space, something with a, a lot of opportunity and very exciting. And before we get into the meat and gravy of that, um, to get things warmed up, let's do a few quick fire questions just to, to warm things up. What is your earliest memory of advertising? Um, I think my earliest memory uh, in Australia, there was some, um, I was probably about six or seven, there was some pretty hard hitting um, ads um, on the TV around um, that it's a business um, that basically tries to stop um, people drinking and driving and 
And it's called the TAC. And there's some really hard hitting um, ads that hit the screens um, in the late 80s. Um, and I think if I if I think about that question, there there's some um, that were probably my earliest thoughts of um, of advertising and and what Adland um, were creating that sort of made it made an impact that I still remember today, which is you know 30 odd years later. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and what was your first job in either advertising or marketing? Um, so out of uni, I got a job in London, actually, is where I started my ad um, ad career in a uh, through-the-line agency called uh, DDA. So we worked on clients um, like Emirates Airlines, Malaysia Airlines. We had a lot of airline clients, uh, but it gave me my, my first uh, first foot in, in the door in London. And um and had a few good years over there working in that space, and then sort of moved from there into um, over into the to the US and the Canadian market um, before I came back and actually started uh, started back here in Australia. Knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself when you started your career? Um, I would say to myself, um, start a little business um, called Google and um, get into search. Uh, is probably what I'd tell myself uh, if I had my time again. Um, you know, but I think I think really uh, be open to to massive change in in a space that that um, you know is moving so quickly, and sort of make sure you sort of take in all the opportunities that you're going to get. Um, you know, I look at the space from when I started; everything was in flyers and and very very traditional um, TV and and sort of below the line attributes to now sort of where where the digital ecosystem is in the landscape. So. Um, I'd be sort of very focused on um, keeping your eyes open for opportunity and and taking taking all the all the things that advertising uh, throws at you. Nice. And what do you love about what you're doing right now and the industry that you're in? Um, I love how, um, like anything in the in the digital space, I love how quick it moves. Um, I think I think to be really um, specific to the to the things I'm doing today is. Um, it's a little bit, it feels like a little bit of the changing of the guard in ad tech, um, you know, privacy being such a, such a really core part of, um, of how we're, um, how we're doing our day to day. And, um, I feel like it's such a new space, but it's a replication of an old space and, you know, seeing where, where things like AI, where things like data and one PD is going to take us, um, you know, it's it's super exciting. It's it's just a it's one of those um, points in time that you know is going to be a, a, re, a real infliction point into into the way the space will will be for the next ten to fifteen years. I think so. Um, you know, I, I, and it's just everyone from different different parts of um, of the industry is actually coming to be, coming together to solve the problem. So I think it's 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 super exciting space. Yeah, it's very exciting, and we're obsessed with this thing called identity. Um, yes. How would you explain identity to a ten-year-old in the in the advertising and marketing context? Well, I mean, to a ten-year-old, I would say identity is is your digital footprint. Uh, it's the fingerprint that you have across everything you do. Um, I think that's one thing that I try and tell my kids is that um, everything you do leaves a foot, you know, a fingerprint of the next thing that you will do, and you know, um, having having yourself. Um, yeah, you know, all put together in one spot where people can actually start to really understand what you do, what you like, and what you don't like, um, is is something that I would sort of 
I would get really clear on with it with my ten year old around what what their identity is across the the open web and what they do um, across everything, um, not just in the open web, but actually in in sort of transactions in store or what they buy in different games. You know, so um, everything leaves a, a fingerprint for, for for their individual identity on what they like and what they don't like. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, what keeps you awake at night? Oh, there's a lot of things that keep me awake at night, Richard. Um, I think I think that you know I, I, I either lie awake with excitement on where this space is moving, um, and and where um, different clients are, are thinking about how they're thinking about um, evolving the space. Um, that keeps me awake. And then you know on the flip side, you know I mean a you know two and a half year old startup, so you know I. I stay awake on all the, the critical things that um, that building a business and building a team, um, you know, keeps you thinking and, and, and wanting to do better and do more and, and be, you know, be on top of everything, whether it be, you know, whether it be cash, whether it be new clients, whether it be innovating, you know, as quickly as we can. So I, I have a, a laundry list of things. Um, my, my wife um, also getting me to do all the things around the house keeps me awake at night as well, mate. So. <laughs> Um, so there's, there's a lot of things, but but I think I think most likely that the biggest one is is just how how this space is evolving so quickly and and how um, how our business um, really stays at the at the bleeding edge of of what we're doing and how we're doing it. I suppose that probably leads a little bit on to my next question, which is what inspires you? Because I'm saying I'm pretty sure it's probably something sort of on the flip side of that, really. I think I mean. There's so many, again, um, I don't have a single thing. Um, you know, I, I get inspired by um, my team every day. You know, I think, um, you know, watching people ask um, really, really deep questions around the why, why they're doing this, um, um, why why they need to do this better. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a major driver for me. Um, you know, I, I think... Um, there's nothing better than seeing, you know, big problems solved, um, even if it's bit by bit, but really, you know, staying focused on some really hard things. And I, um, you know, when I look internally at my team, I, I see that stuff happen um, every day. Um, and then when I look at um, my family, I think is, is another big one, you know. Um, my wife's in a startup as well. Um, you know, she's doing some amazing things. And and my kids are, are, try, are learning off it, even though they're sort of, you know, all under the age of 10, they're all starting to sort of um, look at what, what their parents are doing and sort of starting to do their own little things on the side. So I think I think yeah. that stuff drives, drives my inspiration. Oh, definitely. That's fantastic. And finally, if there was a song that was a soundtrack to your life, what would it be? Yeah, this one. So I think um, the, the first song that, that came to my mind with this question was... Um, Tub thumping um, by Chumbawamba. Um, I don't know why that was the first the first one that came to mind, but um, you know, I think you know, I've I've been through a, a, a couple of startups, and um, you know, it's it's obviously not a, a linear line to success. It's always you know you're working through the process of um, trying new things, things working, things not working, but it, it's a consistency of of getting up and and continuing to push and. Um, you know, I, I, I probably could write that for the last, you know, 20 years of my career in the things that I've done to try and sort of um, to try and drive value and quality. So 
that that's the song that uh, that I'm going to stick with, Richard. No, fair enough. And I presume you mean the uh, get knocked down, get up again part, rather yeah. than the mix of the lager and the vodka and the refugees. Yeah, well, maybe it's a little bit of both, to be honest. So. <laughs> fair yeah. enough. Yeah. All right, great. Well, thank you for that. Um, so now we can sort of get a little bit more, I think, into to the meat of the conversation. Um, let's start with a question around data um, and how that integral that is as part of a marketing strategy. Everyone wants to build out their, their first party data solutions, but that's easier said than done. How do brands, specifically retail brands and retailers, go about collecting first party data today? I think this. I think this is a great question. Um, I think a lot of brands. I mean, to preface, I think a lot of brands um, are not doing a great job when it comes to collecting first-party data. Um, um, not only um, do I think that there's a long way to go in this space, but I, I think um, they're not really clear on how to do it. Um, you know, if I look at a brand that I think is doing probably world-class job in in collecting data, probably be Red Bull. Um, just in, in how, how strong they are around, um, number one, their depth of content, um, the ability for them to, to really create um, a brand that people want to um, give their data for and they're creating value in the space of, you know, they're a typical consumer brand, but um, they've done a, an amazing job of being able to connect the dots of, um, of what their customers want, what they like to see, how they like to interact outside of just the purchase journey. Um, and I think when I, when I look at the plethora of brands that we, that we work with, um, you know, I think a lot of them are, are really trying to set the structure of, of what they do and how they do it. Um, number one is, you know, how are they actually collecting data that they have a, a direct to consumer offering? What are the critical steps of them actually being able to collect data on, on their side? Um, and how are they, how are they, um, adding value to their, to that customer journey by, being able to collect that data on their side. So, so I think um, from that perspective, um, there's some really critical points around the things that they need to do. Content is, is for me, a, a big one. Um, I think brands that can create really um, enticing and, and engaging content um, is a massive driver of value back to their end customers. Uh, number two is like, right, what are they doing around um, around loyalty? What are they doing around that purchase decision? So being able to collect things, uh, collect that um, that one PD is super critical there. So what are they doing with retail partners? What are they doing direct? Um, and then being able to like the third bucket is probably how do they how do they map all that to be able to collect it and then use it? Because I think that's the other thing is. Um, some brands get really focused on the collection piece, um, but yeah. they actually don't know how to use that data properly. And I think, you know, when I, when you get into that depth of, of, of the value of that data um, and being able to use that for action and that action then drives incremental data and drives incremental revenue, I think is, is the critical thing for brands to, to be focused on. Um, but I think it's definitely um, something a lot of brands are asking the question of is like right how do i collect number one how do i collect it um, yep. number two once it's collected um how do i use it in order to to drive incremental value back in back into the into the brand so so i think red bull from that perspective i i feel like they'll engage um they'll collect their data they'll collect it at every every different point whether it's um you know running events whether it's um um their sponsorships that they have within F1 or any other sponsor, uh, 
sponsorships they have, they're collecting that data really well and then they're segmenting it really well in order to um, direct their customers to the right product they have in order to, you know, get that incremental revenue. So um, so I think I think for me they're the they're the three big buckets. No, great, yeah. And obviously coming into that it particularly in Australia now, but obviously it has been in Europe already and, and it's coming into the US as well is this privacy um, angle um, and this privacy consideration and the management of consent. Um, and obviously that comes in to the usage. How do you maintain that, that, that privacy, that security, that consent, but still having the utility and that you want to drive from collecting it in the first place? That's obviously a big challenge for people to get that balance. Definitely. And it's not, it's not, I don't think it's a, it's a really... Um, simple thing for a lot of marketers to marketers to really understand that like they've got a there's quite a lot of um understanding that a marketer needs to have in order to comply with the privacy standards to comply with all the structure of what's the stack that i need to use in order to be able to get that data and how do i make sure that that data is compliant with everything that i do so so i think it's it's a it's a bit of a um a learning curve for a lot of marketers um uh, especially as 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 the space is so dynamic as well, it's changing so much. We've we've got new privacy legislation on the table here in Australia, for example, um, that that's starting to follow on, maybe even more um, in, even more in depth than we have uh, like with GDPR in 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 Europe and the UK as well. So so these things are are, are a moving feast for a lot of marketers that are that are trying to trying to be compliant, but also having to learn the rules as the, as the game goes on. Yeah, yeah. There used to be the days when marketers used to have to understand just marketing, and then it became it has become wise in tech, and now they're having to become wise in legal and uh, totally, regulation exactly. and things. So exactly right. it's definitely a role that's broadening out. And so, what what innovations are you seeing um, in your day to day role around the use of first party data? You know, what technologies are you emerging that excite you, and you know, what what what's still missing? How are you seeing the landscape evolve? Yeah, I mean, I'm the way the way sort of um, the things that I'm seeing in the market is, you know, obviously the rise of CDPs um, is a big one. Um, the use of CDP and how how that that really adds value back into into the whether it be the retailer mix or the brand mix. Um, so I'm loving loving the work that CDP has been doing. Um, for us, where it gets really interesting is like what are the data points that we're not collecting? Um, I think I think it's really simple to see. Um, you know, we're, we're collecting a lot of 1PD when it comes to transaction, right? So we're collecting, you know, our typical, we know um, within the loyalty structure, what we need to collect. Um, we know um, transaction collection. We know we know a bunch of stuff at, at, that, at that point of purchase. Um, where I'm getting really interested is like what's happening in the periphery of, of a store environment, for example. So um, one, one, one platform that I'm loving at the moment is black.ai. Um, they're basically, you know, an a AI layer on top, of, uh, on top of cameras to be able to track people around store, even though it's, it's all, um, it's all anonymized based on, you know, the movement, but they're starting to track data around like, right, how do we flow through a store? What are the things that we do? Where do we stop? Where don't we stop? So from, from our perspective around, the in-store environment is still a, a really un, unanswered, um, you know, when it comes to marketing, it's like, right, what, what attribution does, does seeing something in the physical mean? Um, we're tracking everything really well in the digital um, and we know, you know, we've got our digital footprint, uh, fingerprint, we're running across any digital surface, but as it goes into um, the physical, things start to get a bit more blurred. So starting to love some work that's going on in that space. And, and for us um, specifically, 
you know, we're looking through how do we close the loop on attribution from, you know, from on-site into in-store. And what are the things that um, we can layer into that, whether it's screens or whether it's audio, what are the things that are actually going to um, get get that consumer to actually to be, to be able to move and track that to attribution. So I think I think there's some really really exciting stuff happening in that space, um, and it's something that we're also very very focused on um, on unearthing to to sort of um, connect the, the dots across all three of those um, critical buckets, whether it be on site, off site, and and in that in store environment. Yeah, nice. Uh, definitely a lot of developments in that space and, and in this space overall. Um, and we touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, you've got to, it's one thing to collect data. It's one thing to uh, be able to utilize it. And then there's an, another thing to be able to do that in a privacy compliant or a privacy uh, first manner. What are some of the best practices you're seeing for brands when starting to use their first party data? Is there any advice that you can share about how a brand who maybe has started to collect data through different different methods, how can they start approaching how they're going to use it? Yeah, well, I think when it comes to the utilization of, of their 1PD is like, the first question is, you know, what's the outcome that they're trying to achieve? I think, I mean, to bring um, what, you know, to look at retail media and then look at um, a retailer and the data that they bring to the table and then look at the, the data that the brand are bringing to the table and how do they as a brand, what do I do in order to, to add value to the data that I've collected here and also connect that into, um, into the retailer's environment? So I think, um, you know, and talking to the partnership that we have at InfoSum around clean rooms, I think clean rooms is, is such an amazing um, opportunity for brands to be, to be able to add value on top of the, of the data set that they're collecting um, from a retailer's perspective. And I think, I think we're starting to see this, this growth in where a retailer not only want to help a brand sort of connect across um, the retailer's assets, but also how does the data that the retailer has help the brand connect across their assets? So I think yep. we're going to start to see a massive shift, or not a shift, but, a, but a, a growth trajectory in being able to, to run across a retailer, but also run across the brand. So I think, I think the use of clean rooms and, and how that value um, adds into into the into the brand and to the retailer. To be honest, I think it, it adds value on both sides. But but definitely from a from a brand perspective, um, the utilization of that. Then I think you know just getting really clear on the outputs of of what they're going to do. Or understanding you know if you if you're sitting on a lot of one PD as a brand, like how does that segment? How do I how do I break that segment into um, the messaging that I want to have across my audience, who is my audience to, to sort of be able to create those messages and, and get really clear on, um, on what, what sort of marketing flows you want to put in place on that side. Um, and I think at, at the end of the day, you know, we're all, we're all sort of trying to push the right message to the right audience at the right time. Um, and as, as a brand, I think getting really clear on, you know, what those messages are, what those cohorts or segments of audiences are, um, and how how best that serves the outcome of, of the brand is is a critical piece as well. 
Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, um, it, that sort of hit the nail on the head there. Really, the, the collaboration is is the key piece because that's where the real value unlock is. Um, and as you said, that's what data cleanings enable. Um, not just of the first party data, but also second party data as well. You know, which partner brands and which partner you know where there's no commercial transaction or anything like in third party data, but where you can collaborate with uh, you know like-minded businesses to uh, understand more about the consumer journey is, is, is a huge unlock um but oh, yeah, yeah if you just got to start with that first party data collection as you say do that properly and right. then, then i think, I think it's, it's like this this space can get you know people can run down rabbit holes pretty quickly but i think the simplicity of of just taking it um you know the first step at a time for every brand to be able to to be able to do that but i think I think if you look at it as a brand or as a retailer, um, you know, there's no doubt that um, when I look at it from a retailer perspective, when it comes to the one PD they're sitting on is, it's just so deep in the ability for them to get really, really honed on how they segment. They they understand um, their customers in depth. And I think with retail media um, coming to the forefront, is that those segments are going to drive incremental value. The more money, the, sorry, the more granular they get and the more specific they get around their audience structures, the more value that they can create to their brands who are buying those audiences, but also the more value they create from a, from a revenue perspective for those audiences. So I think, I think we're going to start to see that connection um, get a hell of a lot deeper over the coming years where retailers are really getting specific on the golden goose that they're sitting on which is their data asset and how they can how they can utilize that and then obviously on the flip side for that for brands to be able to number one use that but also to your point around first and second party to be able to then um create get their data asset looking as as strong as possible on their side as well so i think the value creation on both sides will be will will drive um much much more granular targeting and much more granular expectations around um, how they can segment and get the value for, for each part of their audiences um, on each yeah, side. Yeah. yeah, it's hugely exciting space. You just really got to get started, move away from cookies and just get started on this. Um, so double clicking down onto uh, an area you know, very close to your heart, retail media. Um, it's one of the hottest topics in the industry at the moment. We're often being called the third wave of digital advertising. Um, how will we know when we've hit the inflection point with it? What will that look like? And when do you think we will arrive? It's a great question. Um, a question I wish I knew the exact, exact answer to, to be honest. Um, I think, I think we're, we're very, we're in the infancy of this space. Um, you know, I think what you're seeing is, is the category is driving off the back of a few really, really large retailers, typically run by grocery. You see, you know, Amazon is obviously sitting at the top of the tree from a, from a, from a growth and the size of their RMN, but um, you're seeing the Walmarts, the Kroger's, the Albertsons in the US. Here in Australia, you've got, you know, the Cartologies and the, the Coles 360s. Um, New Zealand, you've got the Warehouse Group. You know, you've got the, the larger retailers really driving the category. Um, but where I see sort of the infliction point happening is where we start to get a lot of the um, the tier two and tier three rate retailers also looking at, at driving growth through uh, building an RMN. Um, and when it gets to the point of aggregation being the key part of being able to buy across all of them. Um, currently, it's manageable, right? There's there's a, there's enough that you can manage. It's 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 new. 
um, for brands to be able to buy. But as as that um, as that size of networks grow, um, you're going to start to see that aggregation will start to to play a role in the space. So I think I think for me, um, you know, as you start to see that aggregation start to hit where brands are like going right i don't want to just buy through a single retailer i want to buy across all the retailers that i have i think that's the point where we know that retail media is 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 as has passed the infliction point it is in now into into mainstream yeah no that, that's great answer when it starts becoming more like a network type solution mm-hmm. rather than an individual um shopping based solution um so if you imagine you're a retailer who, for whatever reason, you've had your head in the sand for a, for a while on this, but now you think, right, I really need to get into retail media. If you could boil down to sort of two, three or four or whatever key things that you need to do to get started so that you can benefit from this, uh, this and turn this hype into a reality, what would you recommend? I think number one is understanding the opportunity. So what have you got to sell as a retailer? So um a lot of retailers are still working through that piece is going right i have you know i have a quite a hefty data asset um i have um services like my website or my app i have my uh, external channels like a meta a google a TikTok, a trade desk i have my in-store assets what is all that worth um at a, as a starting point now to understand the opportunity then drives the right what's the change management which is the second piece um, of the puzzle right so going right i want to create a there's a there's a 10 million or a 100 million dollar opportunity on the table as our retail media asset or the opportunity then it's like right how am i going to move um, to be able to do that what are the things internally that i need to do in order to realize that um, now Typically, um, that's a people that's a people internal people structure. So, do I want to have a media division? Does it sit within my merch teams? Like, where who owns it within within the org? Um, and then, what's the stack that I need to deliver that? What are the things that I need in order to be able to make that a reality? Now, I think a lot of retailers are, are working through the process that they've had. Most most large grocery or pharmacy retailers have had some form of retail media structure in their business for, for a long time. Um, but it's moving it from, um, from catalog and print and very traditional metrics into, um, into, into digital. So how are they going to do that? What stack um, is in order? And I think, I think the, there's a critical decision tree when it comes to the stack because the amount of money and yield that a retailer makes is a very vital thing. There's an opportunity, the revenue that you can make at a, at a, at a top line, but then there's the bottom line focus of like, what's the, what's the actual bottom line value to this? So, so getting really clear on the stack that you create in order to maximize your bottom line is another critical thing. You know, the likes of Azitia and InfoSum and, you sort of start to, 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 to bring that, that stack together in order to maximise your yield rather than just throwing a whole heap of different players into the mix. And when you actually get to the bottom line, you're not making as much money as you thought. You know, top line's always great. And everyone, you know, gets really focused on the top line opportunity. But really the game is, as you start to see these networks roll out, it's like, what's dropping down at the bottom? Where are you, what are you actually making as, as a... As a positive contribution to the, to the bottom line um, over time. So, so the third bucket is, is the stack and, and what you do. And then probably the last piece is, is the sales piece. Um, who's going to sell it? 
where does that sit again? If it's if it's run within the marketing team or a media team, you're starting to see a lot of the large um, retailers create their own media divisions that have their own sales teams or they're implementing sales teams from external vendors. I think that's another big a big critical piece to to the success is making sure that you think like a media media business because you're becoming one. Um, yeah. So so the media sales component is another piece that uh, that you need to tick off. Yeah. Now, now, Zitch is obviously seeing a lot of great success across a wide range of different retailers. Of the different types of retailers you're working with, what are some of the common challenges or some of the common hurdles that that you're seeing uh, across that whole uh, area? I think it's just, I think that the big one is that you bring in multiple parts of a business. Um, it doesn't sit in one part. You, 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 you bring data into, into the business. You bring right, different e-com or different parts of the business that's selling different media. So I think, I think the, the biggest um, thing for most retailers as a starting point is like, right, where does this actually sit? And how do I, how do I get multiple people on board to, to, to understand what we're trying to do to create a, a single view of, um, of value within building a retail media network? And I think that's, common, that's, that's a common thread across, um, across every retailer. And then on the flip side of that is probably the metrics on the other side, right? So if I'm gonna go and, if I'm gonna go and sell my media, how do I make sure that I'm setting the expectation of value to my to my suppliers and to my brands, right? So, because at the end of the day, a successful RMN is built off the fact that brands can come in buy the buy the media and get the get the return that they're looking for as well. So, so I think a lot of retailers are working through this process of, um, of making sure that they're giving enough data back to their brands in order to to show value to to, to keep growing the network, but they're sort of still working through what are the what are the pieces of that puzzle that that they need to share. Um, and, and I think that's just purely based on on how new this space is. You know, retailers are great at retailing. This this is a new this is a new uh, a new muscle that they're starting to build and create internally within their businesses. So, um, you know, they're hiring people from 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 media businesses. They're bringing people in that understand this space. So I think I think what we're going to start to see is um, retail start to get very good at this. But I think at the moment there's still a lot of questions un- unanswered that they're sort of working through and they're creating their networks um, with best case in, in mind, but also sort of working through you know some change management that happens within the network or within their within their environment to make sure that um, that the connection. Um, between their their brands uh, is driving maximum value, right? Because I think at the end of the day, even though it's a big opportunity from a from a revenue perspective, they've still got direct you know direct relationships with these brands, so they want to they want to show value, um, and they're not just trying to sell for for the sake of of driving revenue. So so I think yeah. I think they're probably the main ones that sit across every retailer that we talk to in every market. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, and it links back a little bit to what you were saying about the change of the marketer's role. Everyone seems to have to be broadening their skill sets or verticalizing or whatever into different areas. So whether it's marketers having to be able to be legal experts and be tech experts, or whether it's retailers now having to be media experts and and managing data, everybody has to sort of broaden their their scope. It's a very interesting sort of way that business in general is shifting. Yeah, so I mean, so think about marketers, like the CMO role has always been seen as a cost center, right? Now it's a profit center. Right, so 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 this this expectation that a marketer is you know has always just 
spent the money now is is a is is very much that the that the head of marketing is now the one that's bringing the, the the profit into the business right so it's a big it's a big shift in the dynamic of of the sea level in a lot of these retailers as well right on you know when someone is in charge of a large profit center you know everyone wants a piece of that so so i think i think it's sort of working through those things but i i think you know going back to the things that 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 get me really excited it's it's a it's a really exciting time for uh, marketing that's sitting within uh, within these big retail organizations to be able to to show a very very decent bottom line contribution to the overall p and l um, yeah. and I think that's a big shift um, for for a lot of these retailers to to undertake so um, you know it's going to be a very exciting uh, couple of years as this as this space really evolves yeah no absolutely and Whilst we've seen, we've discussed a lot about the opportunity and a lot of the growth. Um, what are some of the challenges, though, that you're seeing more at an industry level as a result of all of these changes? Whether it's changes in roles, whether it's changes in legislation, just this constant change. You know, what, what would your prediction be of the future of retail media, data collaboration, privacy? You know, if you can try and encapsulate that into some kind of holistic sort of uh, viewpoint you know where's the industry going where's it going to be in five to ten years in that data retail media and um, privacy space i think um the big thing is around standard standardization so currently you have um, every retailer creating their own standards their own set of standards around um, measurement, um, how they structure their networks. I think we'll start to see standardization across across the industry. I think the IAB is starting to bring that structure in now. But I think from a brand perspective, um, they want to know when they're coming into one or two or 10 retailers that, that what they're buying is structured and standard across all. Now, that doesn't currently exist um, in the market. And I think there's going to be a lot of players that are starting to um, to push that um, from a retail perspective, but also you know for for brands to be able to continue to spend and understand when they're spending across multiple retailers um, that they can compare apples with apples and not apples with oranges, which I think is a is a little bit of of the position now, and that's just based on where the market's at and where the space is at. So so I think I think for for me, um, you know, over the next five years, you're going to start to see a lot more standardization you're going to start to get really clear on the value metrics that you're um that you'll see um as a brand and as a retailer um and i think you'll start to see um you know levels of uh, competition start to come into the market as well right um where cpms might be a bit more consistent over than being so different across different retailers so um, and I think you're also going to start to see some major players um, in the in the offside ecosystem start to add a lot of value into um, into the into the retail dynamic as well. So I, I think a lot um, as to where the space is at the moment. I mean, the pandemic happened. Um, a lot of people started to get really really focused on following Amazon's footprint into um, into ecom. Um, super interesting looking at, you know, working in a smaller market like Australia and New Zealand where um, Amazon wasn't as well, isn't as strong as it is in markets like the US and, and Europe. And retailers are looking at um, their RMN from a from a breadth perspective. Um, how do they make money in e-com, but also how do they make money across 
um, what they're spending in OPEX on driving acquisition into store through a Google or through a Meta, for example, or um, in the in-store environment. So I think I think those players are going to add some real value. It's going to be really exciting to see your traditional media uh, platforms come into this space and and help retailers and help brands really uh, utilize the amount of data that's sitting on their side to be able to maximize um, the size and the opportunity that these retailers are sitting on top of. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely spot on. Well, we've had a pretty thorough discussion around data and retail media here. Um, is there anything, any sort of glaring things that maybe we haven't covered that you'd like to mention? Is there anything you'd like to sort of bring up as a sort of a closing comment around this? I mean, I, mean, I, I think uh, depending on the listeners, I think if you're a brand um, and you haven't, um, haven't tried it, I think it's, it's a... It's an amazing space to dip your dip your toes into um, to really see the value it returns. I mean, pick a retailer that you feel comfortable with and 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 try the space. And and also as a as a uh, as a retailer, um, you know, there's no time like the present. Um, turning on a retail media network would be great if it if it if it could take a week, but it takes time. Um, and and sometimes. Um, that time you can sort of miss the boat you know there's there's still a lot of first to market mover opportunities in every market i think in every channel um and category that retailers can can stand up and sort of set something up so i think i think on both sides um you know if you haven't done it i think it's definitely something that you are going to do no matter what even if you're trying to hide from it um it's definitely something that is coming um and it's 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 the time is is pressing to do it now is what I would think. So um, that would be my my closing comment on the space. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, it's a prescient time, I think, for for a lot of things, whether it's data collaboration, whether it's privacy, whether it's retail media networks. It's this is this is the moment to really get get moving on that stuff. So yeah. fantastic. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Troy. Um, it's it's been fantastic to have a chat to you. Um, Troy Townsend is co-founder and CEO of Zitcher, um, a retail media network platform, um, originally based out of Australia, but now working globally um, around uh, around the world. Um, I've been Richard Knott. Um, I'm the general manager for Australia New Zealand for Infosum, and this has been Identity Architects. Thanks again to Troy for joining us for our first ever Australian episode of Identity Architects. That was an awesome conversation and the quote that will stick with me from Troy will be, it's not a linear line to success. Also as a content marketer myself, I loved Troy's focus on the power of content to drive better value exchange and drive richer first party data. All that leaves for me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.